Hey, well, I'm super excited to be with you this morning as we continue in the book of Philippians. The title of the message this morning is Think on These Things. Think on these things. So if you're able to stand to your feet, we're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. I'll read verse 8 if you could please read verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And these words here, which we just read, are really amazing words. And I want to say that they, they have the power to change your life. When these truths are actually built into your lives here, they can shape you, they can transform you. Talking about what is more important than how you think. And so uh, I think it's so important because we're bombarded daily. We're just absolutely relentlessly bombarded with news and TV and social media and a relentless and steady stream of information or misinformation that really is dishonorable, unjust, unfair, impure, ugly, destructive, deceptive, and it is relentless and it's never going to go away. So how do you, how do you combat that? How, do you, how does your mind become the kind of mind that God would want you to have? So Paul says here, writing from prison in a house arrest, says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, one final thing. And he's saying this, he's essentially saying, look, Philippian church, all the people that were there, that the community of Christ followers at Philippi, he's saying, hey, I need your attention. I need you to really lock in with me here. I need you to focus on what I have to say. This is huge. Finally, this is a transitional point here. It says, think on these things. And then he, then he delineates the things we're to think on. And it, and it literally means to consider these things to calculate these things, to meditate, to ruminate, to roll over in your mind over and over again all of these things. So Paul then is giving them instructions for the life of the Christian mind. And Paul then, he knows then that the thought life comes to expression in the outward life, but it begins in the mind. Sin begins in our thoughts. So the Bible knows that our lives then are the product of our thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7 says that as you think in your heart or your mind, so are you. So our thoughts then become the basis for our behavior. Our actions flow out of our thinking. That's why Jesus said in Mark 12, love the Lord your God okay, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and your strength. So you know that you, in your mind, tell me if this isn't true. I'm asking you a question. I'm asking everyone here in the tent, I'm asking a question. You know in your mind how you get stuck? How you get stuck thinking about something over and over again there? And, and, it, and it sort of like forms a loop. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of forms a loop in your mind. And then, and then you give it, give it play time. And you keep thinking about it over and over again. What somebody did to you how they made you angry, how they hurt you. Fill in the blank there. And what you're trying to do now is the Bible is saying like, look, you don't have to live in those loops forever, those mental loops that you live in. You can add a new loop to your mind 
God's great eight thoughts here that then you can have rolling over in your minds. And those thoughts, those eight key thoughts, which he's going to delineate here, are things that you can dwell in, which are absolutely transformative. So I have an outline here. This number one is how to think right. Secondly, how to live right. And then to be right. So we're going to talk about thinking right here. And so he's going to give us eight words that really, if you've been around church, they don't get a whole lot of application. They don't get a whole lot of traction here. But the passage is an invitation from God saying this. You can enhance how you think. You can live and you can think at a new and a higher level here. But this morning, you got to decide whether or not you're going to say yes or no to what God wants to put into your mind. And so Paul is writing then about the mindset of the overcomer, which would be every Christ follower. And so where you get stuck in your head, wherever you get stuck in your head, is where you get stuck in your life here. So he says, think on these things, and then gives us God's great eight. And so to think means to meditate, to ponder. It's a call for careful reflection. Culture today, like I used to be honest, we don't really reflect a whole lot. We're busy. We go from one thing to the next. But this calls for careful reflection. It means to, to examine, to consider these eight things in your own heart, to set literally our minds upon these virtues which are conducive to Christ-likeness in our lives. Literally means to make these your habitual practice. It's in the present participle here. And so, uh, and to do this throughout your entire life. So do you get it that like, this is God's game plan for your brain, God's game plan for how you think. So this is how you grow in Christ-likeness by having a renewed mind there. So number one, we're going to talk about how to live right. He says in some translations, New Living, fix your thoughts or focus your mind on what is true. So and this idea of doing this is throughout the Scripture. It's not just like here in Philippians. The idea is seen throughout all the Scripture, and that is to meditate. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. You may be familiar with it, but it says, And they that delight in the law of the Lord, meditating day and night. They're like trees that are planted near rivers of water. In other words, when you meditate, there's a nourishment that comes from meditating, where you're going to... Be like a tree that is, that is uh, evidently near water, bearing fruit, prospering there when you meditate. Romans 12, 2, another uh, well-known scripture. Let God transform you into a new person by how? Changing how you feel? No, changing the way that you think there. So watch, watch, watch. God's word teaches us that a changed life begins with a changed mind. God's word in our life transforms the way that we think. Now, why do, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to, to think on these things? Why do we need to focus on these things, uh, which are true and lovely and right and honorable and pure and excellent? We're going to unpack each one of those. And will you hang with me this morning on this side? Will you please hang with me as I go through all eight? Okay, we go through all Okay, this side, will you please hang with me as we go? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so watch this. Like, watch this. Uh, so if you hear messages on this, they usually kind of skim through it. And I thought to myself, we're not going to skim through it because 
God breathed this, and he wants all grade eight there to have an impact on us. So that's why we're going to go through each one. So thank you for hanging in me, hanging with me. So it's literally saying this is what you need to focus on, to fix your mind on at this season of your life. And maybe there'll be one or two there that will really hit you, that you'll feel like, oh, that one is for me. I need to lean into that one there. So these are eight thoughts, eight standards to focus your attention on. This is a God-given grid then to set your thoughts, a thought grid, if you will, that God himself has prepared just for you. I hope you're excited. And so, because, uh, watch this, watch. There are certain thoughts you don't want in your mind, and yet those are the thoughts that gain traction or looping in your mind there. And so you can't, and you just don't want to think those thoughts, but they need to be replaced with something else. What kind of thoughts do, do gain the, the loop time in our minds? Well, how about condemning thoughts, fearful thoughts? How about rejection-based thought, guilt-ridden thought, shameful thoughts, maybe self-hatred-type thoughts, uh, anxiety-driven thoughts? We talked about that last week. Maybe hate their bitterness and all that. And they, they, be, they come into the grid of your thinking and so, so what this chapter and this verse is doing is it wants to reset that and, and begin to prime uh, a primer for a new way of thinking. So we're going to look at these eight thoughts that God has given us that really then are a template, a template uh, on, on how you want to think in your life. So this is a list here. It's a divine list, an irreducible minimum of what God has for us. And the first thing he says this, and I'm going to go through them uh, relatively, reasonably, quickly, except for the first one. So don't get nervous when you're thinking like, man, there's seven more to go, okay? The first one's going to take a while, and then I'll go quicker through the other ones. But I want to camp on this first one for a bit. So first of all, he says, watch. What's it say? Fix your mind on what is true. Now, why, why does he begin with that? It needs to be a dominant thought on what is true here. And so Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In so many ways, when we're focusing on what is true, we're focusing on who Jesus is. So what is true? I mean, think about it. Like, like we have, like, it's constantly moving of what is true here. It's like uh, whatever you want it to be in culture today here. So let me, let me give clarity to this. Whatever God says on a given subject is what is true. It is unchanging the final test for truth for all time. That's why we want to read the scripture, memorize the scripture, meditate upon it. But people no longer ask, really, what is true? Really what they ask is, does it work? How does it make me feel? So why is it important to focus on what is true? Well, there's obviously the deception of, of, of Satan's lies and deception. And the only way we can know truth and walk in truth, then, is to steep ourselves in the truth of what God has said. And so you'll know the truth, and the truth, then, will set you free, right? And so, but there's so many lies, so many falsehood, uh, and we've understood this from the very beginning. Think about it. From the very beginning of creation, this has been uh, in culture, been in us. 
And in the very beginning, we believed a lie. And Satan said, hey, can, can you really believe uh, that you're being told the truth? Did God really say that? You know, created doubt there and uncertainly, uncertainty. And so he said, certainly you're not going to die. And sadly, then we believed a lie. And the result of believing the lie, it destroyed everything. It destroyed relationship with God, set in motion sin into the world, separation from God. Uh, people, mankind went into hiding from God there. We've, we've never exited out of that. And Jesus then said, look, John 18, I came to bring truth back into the world here. And so Jesus then wants our thought to be based on what is true. Where watch, where you say, I want to be a person that lives in, in the truth here. Uh, I want to be a person uh, that where God shows me our lies in my life that I want to then turn and, and walk in truth. And so every day then, you have to make a choice to rather to believe in tr lies or to believe in the truth. Because really, lies are coming at you relentlessly in countless ways here. They're embedded in our world. They're embedded in culture. And it's a relentless uh, assault of lies that you're faced here. And that's why this message is so critical and important for us. So not only uh, does the truth is the way that you meet Jesus, but it's the way that you walk with him. And so I want to give you some lies. Are you okay if I give you some examples here? That rather than talk about it, go to the next point. I'm going to give you some examples of lies that we have believed some of these lies. You have believed some of these lies here. Here's lie number one. Lie number one, that we'll believe. Even subtly, even our subconscious, I don't really have to forgive. If you only knew what they did to me, and the lie is that you can hang on to that hurt and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and revenge, and, and I can hold on to it, and it's okay because no one really knows. No one can see what's in my mind, in my heart. And you can begin to believe that lie that on this one, if you knew what they did, they crossed the line, and I'm going to hang on to, maybe it's, maybe it's partial forgiveness, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on uh, to not forgiving them. And so the lie that I don't have to forgive others. And the truth is this, uh, from Ephesians 4, it says, instead, be kind, tenderhearted. What's it say? Forgiving one another. And, uh, well, I don't want to. Yeah, but look, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. In other words, you are a, you are a forgiveness receiver. You can be a forgiveness dispenser there. Colossians 3 says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So lie number two is this. I can control my life. So there's an illusion. There's the illusion. We all would love to control our lives. Through manipulation, through worry and all, you think that you can control your life. And the reality is you're believing a lie. But you so want to believe that you can control your life. And the key in the Christ following life is that you surrender control of your life over to him. You're giving him the steering wheel of your life. So Jesus said in Matthew 16, if you try to hang on to your life, to control your life, you're just going to lose it. You're just going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you are going to save it. And so you can't control your life there, but it's a, a lie that you want to believe. Thirdly, another pervasive lie in the Inland Empire pervasive in the Inland Empire, and around the world for that matter. If I just had a little bit more than I now have, I would be happy. 
And the great truth is this, that Jesus said, no, 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 no. We need to reset the truth is that, look, life isn't about more. That's about more fill in the blank, more food, uh, more, more uh, the body clothing, whatever it is, uh, more materialism, uh, more stuff. You know, uh, it's not, that's not what it's about. And he goes on to say that you're going to either live for him or you're going to live for money. If you do that, it will destroy you. Uh, rather than live for God here. And so, so we can justify uh, uh, our selfishness and greed and materialism because if I just had a little bit more, a little bit more, I'll be happy. That is a lie. Lie number, another lie here is this, is that uh, sexual impurity is so, it's absolutely pervasive, as pervasive can be in culture. And so it's so pervasive, it's so out there and everybody's, so it must be okay. Sexual impurity, it must be okay. I mean, that's what uh, uh, culture screams at you uh, incessantly here. But the truth is this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. God wants you to be holy and completely free from sexual immorality. Another lie. I am less than everyone around me. Has anyone ever felt that way, that I am, I am less, that uh, I'm inferior, I'm, I'm inadequate. And so perhaps you, you maybe even with, withdraw a little bit when you, when you, and you meet people and you can, just, you can just feel that. The truth is this is, is our mind, and I recognize I'm going through this quickly. Each one of these could be like a message in itself. But uh, I recognize Jeremiah 1.5, that God's infinite, unfailing, crazy love. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. Just to, to let the truth of that scripture just break over your heart. It's, it's, it's amazing. Another lie is this. Where people think, I'm unlovable. Because of what was said to you. Or what was done to you. And people feel unworthy. and Unaccepted. And the truth is, is that you are his beloved. And you are loved with an everlasting love. Paul said to the church there at Rome, he said, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reality is that you are loved by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you are absolutely loved. And so that is the truth. Uh, that's a couple more. Uh, a lie is it that I'm abandoned and I'm on my own and there's no, uh, and I'm so lonely here. Uh, but the reality is that you're not abandoned by God. The truth is, the author of Hebrews said that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Though other realities may be impressed upon your mind, it may feel that way, but the real reality uh, is that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And lastly, uh, this is just a limited number of lies. But the last one is this. Well, I'm entitled to everything that I have. Everything I have is mine, and uh, everything God gives me is for me. Well, that is a lie, friends. Not everything that God gives you is for you. Perhaps uh, much of it is, but there is some of it that is not. So the truth then is this, is you honor God with what you have. And the first fruits is what it talks about there, or, or, or the first fruit of everything you produce. Also, 2 Corinthians, that each one, 
must give, not uh, optional, but must give as you've purposed in your heart, not grudgingly of necessity. God loves cheerful giver. The point is, though, the lie is everything that I have all the time, it's all for me. No, that's not how, that's not how God rolls with what, what he gives you here. And so that is a lie that you can believe. You need to replace it with the truth. And so God has given us the truth through Scripture. Watch. But we have to work the truth into, his, into our lives. It is there, but we have to work it into our lives here. So then Jesus will identify the lie, but then you got to embrace the truth, counteract some of those lies. So let's get back to this. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Secondly, he says here, uh, what is honorable? So what does that mean? What does honorable mean? It means to be respectful in your thoughts, in your thoughts here, where no one is looking, where no one is seen, where, where no one can go, only you can, can go there. Because sometimes, you know, in your thoughts, you can be dishonorable. Where it's like you hear some bad news about somebody, yeah, I, I knew it. They deserved it, you know, and you just kind of go off on them in your mind there. Maybe never coming to public expression here, but it literally means to hold others in, in high regard, to be greatly respected. It means, it means literally this, to, to, to give, to infuse, to implant someone with honor there. Because the world, what does the world do? The exact opposite. It tells you to look at them, size them up, and so, and you see, you know, what do they look like? You know, perhaps, uh, what is their education, their titles, their accomplishment? What have, their, what have they, they done, their, their looks, their talents? And based on that, that's how you treat them. And this is the exact opposite of that. This is saying the biblical idea of honor then is to look at someone, and uh, regardless of, of, of what I just talked about there, uh, uh, how others may think about them, you implant honor into that person's heart. It really is a beautiful, beautiful concept there, biblical concept. Number three is this. It says, whatever things then not only are true and honorable, but whatever things are right. This is powerful. This is loving what is right, doing what is right, and how you relate to people. This has a relational component here. Right in your conduct and right in your action towards others. Watch this. It has to it the idea of the execution of the heart of God toward people. Isn't that not that beautiful there? The execution of God's heart there. A thought that is right, it, it has a sense of, of fairness to it. Sort of like when you hear a judge, you know, pronouncing a sentence, and they're just being measured and fair. You know, they're not railing on the person, going off on them. They're just giving uh, the sentence there. And so it's, and it's also... Uh, right is creating a door in relationships where they can be restored. Keeping that door open where they can be restored. So fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and then what is pure. It's a powerful word, pure. Uh, you don't hear about it in culture a whole lot. Anyway, who talks about being pure, unless it's some oil that they're, that they're selling or something like that. But you know what I mean. So, uh, But in culture, it's like it's a lost word in culture here. And so it means pure in thought. And it means that you have to like treasure purity. Uh, purity, it has a, uh, the idea of how you present yourself. Not to be like impure, kind of sexually trying to appeal, you know, by, by, by how you present and conduct yourself. It's like being free from that. Paul is saying, set your grid then 
to give God your motives and let your motives be pure and set your affection to lean into purity is what he's saying here. Speaks of being free from carnality. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, like they're new, and that newness then means you, you, you get a new heart, you're forgiven, the old things are past, all things are new, and there's a new purity in your life. In 1 John, if we've confessed our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. You are ongoingly cleansed by God. You are pure. And so pure then, uh, because God removes uh, uh, the guilt and the shame and all that. And so really what it's talking about is he's reinstalling a grid into your life. It's more than just like a word here. It is actually a lifestyle that you're buying into. I need you to hear me. And so literally it would mean where a grid where then you're asking certain questions, where uh, uh, something, uh, an opportunity comes up and you think, would that thought, would that thing, would that defile me? That's, that's going in the opposite direction of purity here. Uh, would, that thought, would that thought corrupt my thinking? That's the purity that he's talking about. Uh, would that thing, that option, that visual opportunity, that op- will that make me more like Jesus or undermine purity? And so David said, how, how does a young man keep his way pure? He says, through his word, by taking his, uh, heed according to his word here. And so uh, God's word uh, can wash you, can give you purity here. And so that is the, 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 the fourth one here. Number five is this. This is one of my favorite. It says lovely. And so this is a powerful word here. It's a combination of two words, which literally means this. Affectionate love, watch. Affectionate love, and then watch. And then to move toward. Affectionate love and to move toward. Coupled together is this word lovely here. So it speaks then of thoughts flowing about compassion, actually, to other people. What it means is this, again, a lifestyle cultivating a a thought system in my life when I think about you is with compassion and affection. So powerful. Uh, So think about it. Think about it. So when someone annoys you, you know what I'm talking about? Think about what I'm talking about. Uh, As I said that, I thought a couple times last week, uh, this, you know, you just feel it coming on. And so they they annoy you. They irritate you. They push that button. uh, They trigger you. And, and, and God is saying then to you in that moment, can you see this person with compassion? It really changes everything. Uh, and before you get more and more irritated and more and more worked up about it, it's to pause and to ask God to give you compassion for that person there. Literally, that your heart then is moved toward them, not with the old grid, but the new grid downloaded by God and changing your thinking there. And so it causes your heart to move toward them where instead of being bitter, instead of being annoyed, so irritated and repelled and all, uh, you focus on God's compassion and you see them. I'm talking about broken people. I'm talking about toxic people. I'm talking about people that, that even hurt you. And you see them through this renewed perspective, God's compassion moving toward them that way. Uh, and it changes everything. And if you let God you know, do a deep work in your lives there, uh, and you just tune into this and uh, lovely here, and it's a heart that God wishes for them. And you think more about them. You think about their stories and what they've been through and how they landed there. So think about these things. 
what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely. Then he says, what is admirable? It speaks to focusing on getting uh, what is good about them. What is the admirable things in other people? It means to literally reset your compass, your compass to look for the good. Some, some scriptures, uh, translations will read good report. It means good report of good things done. So imagine a relational world there where we were spreading good reports. Huh, how that would change cultures and organizations and businesses and churches. It's just this, this one thing, the power of this one thing were true. If you were spreading a report of good things done, seeing the good things in people, seeing the positive qualities in people, Rather than we get so hyper-focused on their faults and their shortcomings or what they haven't done. So this thing, look, let your mind be renewed, a new grid, one of God's great eight that you see the good things in people. This is God's uh, purpose and plan for us. And then the last two. He said, whatever is excellent or whatever is worthy of praise. Living, excellent means living the way that you now have the potential to live because you're in right relationship with Christ. How powerful is that? That there can be a, a, a newness that comes to your life because of the potential that you have to live. It speaks of a moral excellence. It speaks of wanting to do what is right, to possess good virtues, values, truth, kindness, excellence. And lastly, worthy of praise. It means to literally... It means looking for God in every circumstance of life. It means to be, to be commendable, that it's praiseworthy, causing us to be in a space, in a place that praises God. So and to call out uh, that which is good that God is doing in people here, to point out the good and not only the bad here. You know, it's easy to catch people doing bad things, but then you go to the hotel and says, hey, did you catch one of our employees doing something good? Can you fill out the card so we could give it to them? I mean, that's a biblical principle that they're doing. So what I want to do, I want to call out good things in you. That's what I want to do. As long as I have breath, I want to call out the good things in you. And so so uh, that means that uh, you affirm the good that you see in people. So think right. Secondly, then he says now in verse 9, is to live right, to live right, to make it your lifestyle. Watch, keep putting into practice, that's living right. And then, and then uh, you have the stellar example of Jesus, but you also have the stellar example of the Apostle Paul. So he says this, and I think sometimes people are, are, are afraid to, to say this, like, hey, you know, this area of life, follow my example. You may be a good wife or a good husband. You might say to a young couple that's struggling, hey, you could follow our example. There's nothing arrogant about that. So he's saying, look, all that you've learned and you've received, everything you've heard in me, saw me doing, he says, uh, do that. Put it into practice. Follow my example here. He's saying, look, I'm not just teaching you in a public sense. I am with you and you can see my life and just follow my life. Follow what you see in me here. And so he says, look, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, look, follow my, my lifestyle. I'm living it out before you like in real time. I'm a real example in real time, Paul is saying here. And so I want to ask this. What are the mentors in your life? Who is the Paul in your life? Who are the examples in your life? You know, life is better. It doesn't matter your age. If you're, if you're 
uh, 12 or 102, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Everything is life in, is better when you have a mentor, when you have a coach, when you have an example, when you have someone that can teach you, can focus you, can encourage you, that can inspire you to, to stay on point there, uh, perhaps to give you a skill, to give you a perspective, uh, to show you how to do it, to show you why you do it. Uh, we all need mentors and coaches and really in every area of life. You may have one if you want to do missions. You may have a missions mentor, a missions coach. I've had a few of those in my lifetime. Uh, maybe a vocational coach, a spiritual coach, maybe a relational coach, a marriage coach there. But all of us, without exception, need this principle in our lives. So for those of you that are older, what does he mean by older? <laughs> Who's he talking about? All right, I'm just going to give it, I'm just going to give it a number. If you've walked with God for 20 years, or you are 50 or older, that's who I'm talking about. You say, are you saying that that's old? Uh, you know, I'm young at heart. I feel like I'm 40. Okay, I'm just saying that's old, okay? So just there it is. Uh, so uh, if that's you, 20 years walking with God, 50 years or older, this is what I'm saying to you. It is time for you to be a mentor. It is time for you to be a coach. It is time you begin because there's, there's a whole world of people that desperately need you. They need you to be a mentor. They need you to be a coach. And so you say, well, I never had a mentor. Well, the scripture doesn't say, you know, unless you had a mentor, you cannot be a mentor. So uh, all you, uh, and you say, oh, how, how, do I, how do I do it? You know, how do I get started? You get started by just texting somebody, by just reaching out to somebody, by just saying, hey, can we, can we have a cup of coffee? I can't tell you how many times that I've done that. And then like uh, six months or a year, so, many so much time later, it says, you know, you've been a mentor to me. And I thought, I didn't really even know at that point it was more than coffee, but praise God if that was the case. And so, but when you're with them then, you have coffee or whatever, and you say, hey, is there anything? I literally will say this. I probably have said this to people in the room. I'll say, hey, is there anything you want to ask me? Is there anything you want to ask me? You, and I'll say it. You can ask me anything you want. Anything you want to ask, you just ask me. And so, and when you do that, you'll be amazed. Trust me, they'll jump in and they'll begin asking you questions and for insight and wisdom and all that. And so, uh, uh, but again, if you've never been a mentor, you can still be a mentor. And I'm telling you, over 50, 20 years with God, this is your time, your season to be a mentor, to be a coach to somebody. And you got to start getting with it. You got to get with it, get in the game. This is something God wants you to do, to encourage, to help, okay? And the Bible even says, uh, I could go off on this for a long time, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. But it says, hey, the older women are supposed to be with the youngers, okay? So, I mean, it says that, so it's time to step up, be a mentor. Maybe it's a small group leader, one-on-one, -on -one, maybe student mentors, but, uh, but this is something that you need to do. So just in case you're thinking like, well, I don't know, I'm just going to grab somebody from the crowd, and I'm going to ask them, somebody that's been mentored by people in this church, Chloe Nieto, come on up. Give it up for Chloe. <laughs> so I was just thinking, you know, uh, Chloe, I know that she's been mentored by many of the people on the, on the platform, people out there. Hi, Chloe. Should you give it up for Chloe again, please? <laughs> so, Chloe, I understand, I know, because of conversations and doing worship team retreats and things. I know that you have been mentored 
by really a plurality of people uh, at the, in this community. And so I asked you yesterday, I asked you, and you, you agree, so thank you for doing that. Um, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little. Uh, but if you, Chloe, could just tell us, how has mentoring, the plurality of people have mentored you, how has that impacted your life? You came here a couple, was it a couple years ago? A couple years ago. And so uh, you were kind of, I think you were new to, were you new, kind of new to church? Yeah, you were new to church, and you were 15 or 16, and now you've been mentored for a couple years. Can you tell us how that's impacted you? Um, well, if I'm being totally honest, I think that I'm totally living a completely different life. And, you know, I'm a different person as the Chloe that I and you all knew three years ago. Mm. And I believe that God used my mentors um, to not only give me um, the examples I want to look at, but to soften my soul mm. and my spirit. Wow. That's beautiful, Chloe. So... Uh, go ahead, give it up for Chloe. So, Chloe, what I heard you say is it, it is, uh, it's had an impact that it has it's shaped you. Is completely. that fair to say? Completely, it, inside and out. It's completely shaped you yes. inside and out. And um, do you desire to continue the, those relationships that you have of mentoring? Of course. I, I see them in my life um, for a very long time. Say that again. I see them in my life for a very long time. For a very long time. Okay, thank you, Chloe. Would you give it up for Chloe? And so as the worship team comes up, as the worship team comes up, Paul said here in Philippians to, to think right, to live right, we just talked about, and then to be right. Watch at the end of verse 9 what it says. Then, look at this, look at this. He says, then the God of peace, when you what? When you think right. When you live right, last week we talked about um, that you'll have the peace of God in your hearts. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will keep, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And now the next verse here, or two verses over, says, then the peace, not only uh, the peace of God in your heart, but the God of peace, think right, live right, now you're able to do right. The God of peace will be with you. Would you stand to your feet? Father, thank you that if we fix our minds on these things, fix our minds on the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord, that we would focus on that what is true and what is honorable, what is right and what is pure and lovely and admirable and excellent, and praiseworthy. And Father, if we could put these, these eight words on a piece of paper and even apply them to our lives, what it would look like. Because reality is we can focus on what is untrue, what is dishonorable, and what is broken, what is impure, and what is ugly and awful and unworthy. But Lord, but you have given us a way that we could focus on these great eight God-breathed thoughts. And I pray, Father, that they would not return void, but accomplish the purpose of them that we have looked at this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying?